Set against the backdrop of heightened Cold War tensions, this 80s flick introduces us to two bumbling government employees unwittingly thrust into the world of international espionage. Tasked with a decoy mission to distract attention from a genuine covert operation, the duo becomes entangled in a web of conspiracies, encounters with KGB agents, and a journey that takes them from the treacherous terrains of Afghanistan to the frigid landscapes of the Soviet Union. It not only capitalizes on the chemistry between its lead actors, but also serves as a parody of spy movie tropes prevalent in the 80s. Cleverly satirizing the political climate of its time, it offered a lighthearted take on the Cold War anxieties that gripped the world. By infusing humor into the serious business of espionage, the film manages to lampoon both political posturing and the conventions of the spy genre itself. So start studying for the Ford service exam, pull out your book on colloquial Russian, and meet us at the Ace Tomato Company as Laramie Wells and I discuss Spies Like Us from 1985 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Spies Like Us, the men, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd, the training. Piece of cake. That's a coffee? That's a good idea. The mission. Every minute you don't tell us why you're here. I cut off a finger. Mine or yours? Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Spies Like Us, rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. I'm Tim Williams, the mastermind behind the mic at the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Joining me on each epic episode is a guest co-host who's as crazy about 80s flicks as they are about wearing parachute pants and solving Rubik's Cubes. We're diving into nostalgic treasures we saw at the local theater, rented on VHS tapes, or discovered on cable TV. From blockbusters that make you say, I feel the need, the need for speed. To hidden gems that'll have you screaming, Larry. It's a blast to relive these old memories and share our thoughts on what made these movies so special. We reminisce about our first time watch experiences, share our favorite scenes, and even discover fascinating behind the scenes tales about the cast and crew along the way. Haven't hit that subscribe button yet? What are you waiting for? Come on, do it! On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And hey, while you're at it, be a pal and drop us a written review along with a five-star rating to tell us what you think about us. Sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Take a day off and come hang out with us on social media. Just search 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget to bookmark 80sflickflashback.com for more gnarly content. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Want to crank it all the way up to 11? Become a supporter on buymeacoffee.com for only $5 a month. Do or do not. There is no try. Click the link in our episode show notes. And while you're there, soak up the extra trivia and fun stuff that didn't make it into today's show. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the party, pal. Welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you. Let me be the first to say Happy New Year and new season of the podcast is the first episode of 2024 and the first episode of season eight. It's hard to believe that uh, I'm in the eighth season already and we're coming up on episode 100, which is two episodes away. So I'm really excited about that. So big, exciting news coming about that. But uh, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you. I want to take a minute and just thank our international listeners, uh, those that are in the United Kingdom, Brazil, Canada, Australia, Germany, Austria and France, I've seen by my statistics that you are my analytics that you guys are listening. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please continue to do so. And uh, send me a message, uh, send an email, send us a message on social media and let us know exactly where you're listening from. That'd be really cool to find out. But let's get on with today's show back in the saddle for most of my season premieres, as usual. But always glad to have Mr. Laramie Wells back on the podcast from Moving Panels Podcast. How you doing, Laramie? I'm good. I, I'm wonderful. Doctor? Doctor. <laughs> and, and doctor. And, and doctor. <laughs> yeah. Had yeah, to that, fit it in somewhere. 
Yeah, that's one of the best. We're going to talk about that one in favorite scenes, I think, because that, that's one that I really enjoy. Let's jump right in. When did you see Spies Like Us for the very first time? I do not remember. I really <laughs> don't. I, I'm i sure it was on TV because most of these, mm-hmm. these movies were for me. Right. Uh, so I'm pretty sure it was on TV, but I cannot remember when. I can't remember. I, there's like a vague memory that I saw this in the theater but I remember it more of being on VHS or on cable a lot. So I know I've seen it like a million times and even rewatching it today. So much of it I remembered and was saying some of the lines before they said them because I remembered them. But if I saw this in the theater, I probably saw it at like a dollar theater where it had been out for a while. It wasn't one that I saw like when it first came out. Man, yeah. I miss dollar theaters. <laughs> I know. When did you last see it before rewatching it for the podcast? Oh, it's been a good long while (laughs) although although like you as watching it i'm like Mm -hmm. i remembered so much of it yeah uh, but yeah that's another thing i cannot remember how long it's been so that's how long it's been (laughs) yeah i think i was was talking to laramie before we started recording that it was on one of the streaming services probably two or three maybe four or five years ago in the last i guess in the last five years and i remember watching it then because i had not seen it in so long and really enjoying it and remembering how much I liked it as a kid. But it's not one that you really see that people talk about that much in the 80s. I mean, you know, of course, you got two big stars, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd, but they have other, I guess you would say, bigger movies around that time. Ghostbusters, Fletch, we just did Trading Places, uh, the Lamp, the National Lampoon Vacation movies, which I didn't plan it that way when I put this as the season premiere, but I just thought about it when I was thinking about my notes. I just did Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places in December, and then I followed up yeah. by a replay of Chris's Vacation with Chevy Chase. So why not do the movie that they're both in together right after that? There you I go. Mean, it makes perfect sense, even though I didn't Works. do it on purpose. <laughs> well, let's jump into story origin and pre-production, shall we? We shall. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot on this one. Actually, the Wikipedia page had zero pre-production notes, so I had to do a little bit of digging. So it's kind of short, but I think it still gives us a little bit of insight. So Dan Aykroyd had actually been working on the script for Spies Like Us for years. Initially, he had envisioned the movie as another chance to team up with his SNL co-star, John Belushi. But after Belushi passed away, the script was rewritten for Aykroyd and Richard Pryor. But the studio didn't like it. (laughs) Later, Chevy Chase became available after abandoning his own spy-themed project. Once he joined the project, Warner Brothers was interested in the film, finally got the green light to begin production without a completed final draft of the script. Dan Aykroyd said he took his first opportunity as a screenwriter very seriously. He worked with Dave Thomas, an SCTV alum, to develop the story. Oh, so not, not the Wendy's founder. No, not that Dave Thomas. <laughs> the other the other Dave Thomas, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Aykroyd and Thomas actually took a road trip to Jamaica to get inspiration for the script. They went to Ian Fleming's house, the Golden Eye Plantation, Ooh. where he wrote the James Bond novels. Aykroyd said the script was a lot of great ideas, but it was a little formless and needed work. Aykroyd was a great originator, but he enjoyed the collaborative process. He said he liked that boiler room atmosphere, which he attributed to working as a writer and performer on Saturday Night Live. Aykroyd enjoyed writing and was extremely passionate about the Ruski fighting secret agent stuff in the movie. But the script was later polished by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, who were best known at that time for their hit comedy Splash. And I know they've done some sitcom work as well. I think that's kind of how they got into screenwriting. So when I saw their name pop up in the opening credits, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because some of the lunacy and some of the bits seem to fit their writing style. Yeah. Now, when you said that Chevy Chase abandoned, do you know what the other spy? It didn't uh, say. Wasn't foul play? Did, did, wasn't he a spy? I, it's been so long. Since I've it's seen been that a one. while. Uh and I know that's the 70s movies, not an 80s Yeah, movie. yeah. So, yeah, I don't, but not like this one is a spy movie. I think his was a little bit more, a little bit closer to what this one eventually became. I don't know what the original script was like, but he was obviously trying to develop something else more in the Soviet Union spy, you know, Cold War, Cold War type yeah. espionage type of movie, I guess. It didn't give a title. It just said that it was an abandoned project that he had been trying to, He'd been working on trying to get made, but wasn't getting any bites on it. Okay. So that's all I got for uh, story origin and pre-production. But watching it, you can tell it is a bunch of like ideas kind of thrown together with a very 
Definitely Loose some plot. scenes, yeah. <laughs> and I know it's an homage to like the old, uh, you know, Bob Hope. Uh, Road, Road 2 movies. Road 2 yeah. movies and even a little bit of Abbott and Costello-esque type of, you know, bits and stuff, which I, which I like because, I mean, I grew up on yeah. those old older movies. So well, I, I love the Road 2 movies. Yeah. So I appreciated those those references and, and thought they were really funny. So. And the random cameo by Bob Hope. Yeah, Oak. Bob Hope. Yeah, <laughs> which was great. And now these messages. Are you a fan of movies and TV shows inspired by comics? Ready for a podcast that dives deep into the thrilling world of adaptations? Well, look no further. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. This is your go-to podcast for all things comics on screen. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and every Monday we explore the dynamic universe where ink meets action. We break down the classics, reveal hidden gems, and uncover the creative process behind your favorite adaptations. Subscribe to Moving Panels now on your favorite podcast platform and join us on this epic journey through the pages of comics and onto the big screen. Remember, new episodes drop every Monday. Don't miss out. Moving Panels, where every panel has a story and every adaptation is a blockbuster. Subscribe today, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. All right, we'll talk about casting. So we're not going to talk about Chevy Chase or Dan Aykroyd because I've just covered, we've covered Chevy Chase multiple times and Dan Aykroyd we've covered before as well. Uh, so the first on the list past them, or uh, anything you want to say about Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd? No, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what other, what else you might bring up uh, considering that all the different people that was supposed to be in this with Dan Aykroyd, because mm-hmm. I don't know if it was Chevy Chase just deciding to do his own stuff or what, because mm-hmm. it was very much a Chevy Chase part. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Once he came on board, they definitely shaped the script to more of his comedy style, and of course they let him ad lib a bunch of a bunch as well, which is very evident. Which yeah. Aykroyd is used to because he's worked with Bill Murray, who's ad lib a lot too. So that wasn't a big change for him i think it's interesting this is the only movie they did together i mean i thought they were pretty decent as a combo of course not the same as you know him and belushi maybe but i don't know he'd ever get another you know partner like he had with belushi but he played such a different character yeah it would have been totally different with belushi yeah so it i was about to say acro would be more the straight man but he was kind of more the straight man in this one Mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's funny because watching him was like Aykroyd is kind of playing the same character he is in Ghostbusters. Yeah. They're, you know, really smart, knows all the facts. And then Chevy Chase is basically playing Fletch because he's just making it up oh, as he goes definitely. along and, yeah. you know, all the one liners and stuff. So, which I guess is why it works. So, like both of those characters, so kind of putting those two together makes it work. All right. So, we'll talk about Donna Dixon as Karen Boyer. Dixon actually began her career as a model and competed in both. Miss USA 1976 and Miss World USA 1977. On television, she co-starred with Tom Hanks in the early 1980s sitcom Bosom Buddies. Hey. Hey. Months after they worked together in the film Dr. Detroit in 83, Dixon and actor Dan Aykroyd married. They later starred together in other films like Twilight Zone the movie. They did not share any scenes together. And The Couch Trip in 1988. Dixon and Aykroyd have three daughters. The couple announced in April 2022 they were separating after 39 years of marriage, but would remain legally married. 
Wow. I don't think I knew that they were married. I, I knew they were married because I remember maybe not when it came out, but like years later, it became a discussion about how it was funny that Dan Aykroyd's real life wife was the one that ends up with Chevy Chase in the movie. And Aykroyd is actually with somebody else at the end. So, you know, how did he feel about having his wife be the love interest of his co-star instead of him? <laughs> but yeah. Of course, she was the uh, the dream girl in Wayne's World. That's yes, what... she was. Yeah, yeah. I had that. I'm trying to scale down some of my, my cast stuff. <laughs> make, make the episodes a little shorter if I can. So next on the list, we've got Bruce Davison as Ruby. Made me think about your daughter all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Davison, I recognized him immediately. Due to his good looks and likability, he was predominantly cast as a mature, morally responsible dad or a politician. Some of his most popular films include Six, Degree Men. yeah, Six Degrees of Separation in 93 with Will Smith. The family adventure film Far From Home, The Adventures of Yellow Dog in 1995. And as you mentioned, the box office hit X-Men in 2000 and its sequel in the, as the role in the role of Senator Kelly. Yeah. So, I also have to mention he's the original Willard. I'm a big fan yes. of that movie. Yes. So. We talked about Willard as well. Yep. Yeah. Which was remade with the creepy guy. From from Glover, the yep. yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of that one, too. That's, okay. that's probably the one. If you don't count. Back to the Future as a Crispin Glover movie. Right. Uh, it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. Willard is probably my favorite Crispin Glover movie. Again, I'm I'm a horror guy as well. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's right down right up your alley for sure. Yeah. All right. So then we've got the other politician, Keys, played by William Prince. Uh, he was a character actor whose popularity was due to hundreds of appearances in soap operas. He was eventually cast in Another World soap opera, The Edge of Night soap opera. Search for Tomorrow soap opera, as well as A World Apart, another soap opera. So I've never was... heard of any of those. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I yeah. remember Another World, The Edge of Night, and Search for Tomorrow. A World Apart, I do not remember. One noteworthy credit was that he was part of the continuing cast of the first hour-long television drama series called The Mask in 1954. Okay. So by the 70s and 80s, he basically appeared in several television miniseries and TV movies. So he didn't look that familiar to me, but... I thought I'd mm. give him a mention. Another great character, Bernie Casey as Colonel Rumbus, kind of a extended cameo, more or less, for this movie. Yeah. But of course, Casey began his acting career in the film Guns of the Magnificent Seven, a sequel to The Magnificent Seven. He then played opposite fellow former NFL star Jim Brown in the crime dramas Tick, Tick, Tick and Black Gun. From there, he moved between performances on television and the big screen, such as playing team captain for the Chicago Bears in the TV film Brian's Song. In 1979, he starred as widower Mike Harris in the NBC television series Harrison Company, which was the first weekly American TV drama series centered on a black family. Hmm. In 81, he played a detective opposite Burt Reynolds in Sharky's Machine, which was also directed by Reynolds. And then, of course, I remember most from playing a version of himself and other football players turned actors in Keenan Ivory Wayans' 1988 comedic film I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. So, oh come on! He was he was Bill and Ted's teacher. Yes, in, yeah, Bill and Bill Ted's and Ted, yeah. Adventure. That was my next note. He also played high school history teacher Mr. Ryan yeah. in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's what I immediately so. recognize him from. <laughs> but he's so funny in this one. I love it when he when they come and they're like, "Oh, we had a good time, but we're we want to go home now." And he's like, "Guys, I really don't have to kill you this yeah. early." <laughs> All right, just got a few more here. So uh, Steve Forrest as General Sline. Of course, he he was a kind of a Robert Stack uh, yeah. character. He began his screen career as a small part contract player with MGM. In 1942, he enlisted in the U.S. Army, rose to the rank of sergeant, and saw action at the Battle of the Bulge. Following his demobilization, he visited his brother, who was an actor in Hollywood, and decided that acting wasn't a bad way to make a living, having already done some work as, as a movie extra. From the mid-50s, the six-foot-three actor became much demand on TV, beginning with classic early anthology and Western series, interspersed with occasional appearances on the big screen, most notably The Longest Day in 1962, and as Joan Crawford's lover-slash-attorney in yep. Mommy Dearest, 1981. That's yeah. what I recognized him from. No wire hangers. <laughs> uh, that's all I remember from that movie, but I'm, my, sister, <laughs> my sister used to watch it over and over again when I was a kid. In addition to numerous guest roles, he was regularly featured in series like Gunsmoke, Dallas, and Murder, She Wrote. His starring role as the stoic, tough Lieutenant Dan Hondo Harrelson 
in the short-lived ABC police drama series SWAT in 1975 is probably his best-remembered role. Okay. And then the last one that I'm going to mention, only because she did so much more after this movie uh, came out than what you really know her for in this, is Vanessa Angel. Yes. Who's, who is listed as one of the Russian rocket crew members. She doesn't even have a name in the movie, but British-born Vanessa Angel began her career at age 14 as a model when she was discovered by world-renowned agent Eileen Ford. She gained much life experience by traveling the world, re relocating to New York, and appearing on many magazine covers, including Vogue and Cosmopolitan. Her transition from modeling to acting came in 1985 when she was chosen by director John Landis for her small role in this movie. After gaining some attention from the role, she became a member of the Actor Studio in New York in 1987. This led to roles in films like King of New York in 1990, Kingpin in 1996, Kissing a Fool in 1998. In addition her to her film work, Angel starred in the hit series Weird Science, Weird Science. on the USA Lisa. Network, which I knew why you were excited. Yes. <laughs> I don't care about any of that other stuff. I didn't even right. like her in Kingpin, but yeah, yeah. yeah, she is Lisa in Weird Science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The genie. <laughs> So as we mentioned, the film is an homage to the famous road film series, which starred Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Of course, Hope makes a cameo in one scene. Other cameos in the film include many directors uh, like Terry Gillum, Sam Raimi, Martin Brest, and Joel Cohen. You also see musician B.B. King and visual effects pioneer Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, the B.B. King cameo just seems so random. <laughs> it is. It's very random. Most of the most of the cameos are kind of random. Yeah, I don't know Terry Gilliam, which I love how you, you mentioned as a director and not a member mm. of Monty Python. Right, but, right. Uh, I don't know his his doesn't seem as random to me. It does kind of maybe feel a little bit more like a cameo, but the mm. the I, I guess it's just because of BB King's like stature and, <laughs> and all. He he, he just, just feels so out of out of place. place. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and of course, I forgot to mention, of course, Frank Oz as the test yeah. proctor or whatever, which he's got, you know, he always makes makes an appearance in a John Landis movie. Of course, he was in Trading Places, which we talked about last month. That's one of the first movies, because I think at the end it showed that was Frank Oz. And that was the first time I realized what Kermit the Frog's voice looked like. Like, that was the first time I knew who what Frank Oz actually looked like as a kid. Frank Oz isn't Kermit, though. He's not Kermit? No. Sure? Yes. Oh, Jim Henson was Kermit. Jim Henson was Kermit at the time. Right. Um, no, Frank Oz is Miss Piggy. Ah, there we go. And and Fozzie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then gotcha. many, many, many others. Many, but, many others, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Yoda. I mean. Yes, of course. Yoda, yeah. I mean, not forget that for sure. So all right. Anybody else in the cast that you might want to bring up? I mean, it's really just a Aykroyd and Yeah, I uh, think you hit them all. Movie. I was I was gonna make sure you mentioned Vanessa Angel. That was the one I was I was just holding on to, going as long as he mentions that one, I think he has hit them all. So, all right, well, yeah. let's move into iconic favorite scenes. Is there an iconic scene, or what? What when you when someone mentions spies like us to you, what's the first scene that you think of? The uh, doctor, doctor, yeah, doctor, doctor, <laughs> doctor, doctor. Did we cover everybody or whatever it was? These, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think about, I usually think of them walking in the snow. I mean, it's not like a major scene, but I guess that's also because it's the cover of the, the cover, VHS yeah. and, and the movie. But yeah, the doctor, doctor scene for sure. The test scene. Yeah. I always think about that's, that's by far one of my favorite scenes. So let's go to my favorite scenes and what's, what's your, you got any favorites? Uh, the test, doctor? The, yeah. The <laughs> test scene is probably one of my favorites. Uh, I also like after the G-force uh, yeah, yeah. test when they walk down the hall and they've got the, <laughs> the, the faces, faces are all flattened yeah. out. Yeah, want to get some coffee? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good one for me too. <laughs> I don't know. There's a, there's a lot. Yeah, that's probably just to stick with with make it short and sweet. Those are probably the ones that I like the most. Yeah, would be, would be those. Yeah, I wrote down a couple of like lines so the test scene i love chevy chase i'm sorry i'm late i had to attend the reading of will i had to stay till the very end and i found out i received nothing yeah broke my arm broke my arm <laughs> like, just, yeah just an add-on and i broke my arm which you can tell then, you, you can tell the hand is completely fake as he's walking in it just looks so funny yeah and then uh uh 
he hands Frank Oz his wallet. Yeah. <laughs> you can hold my wallet. It has a thousand dollars or maybe it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Classic chase. Classic Chevy Chase. But yeah, there's a few things in it that I noticed this time. You know, maybe now because of you know watching airplane movies and the Jerry Zucker things, you kind of look this has that kind of like almost a parody, but it's not it doesn't full on go into parody mode, but it has like moments of that. Yeah. Uh, but when uh, Dan Aykroyd's supervisor, I guess, is coming, going back to go down to the basement above the door, it actually says sub sub basement. Like it's two subs in front of basement. I was like, it's not the sub basement, it's the sub sub basement yeah. of, of the building, which I thought was uh, interesting touch. And then uh, I noticed all the posters in the Russian cabin. There's like a Dr. Chivago poster and a Reds poster, like all American oh, I didn't even about, notice that. about, you know, American movies about Russians and Americans falling in love, which I thought was funny. How did you not see that? Like there's one scene where they're like right in front of the, the Dr. Chivago poster. I think there's another poster in there too, but those are the two that I remember. Mm, just, did, just didn't stand out to me. Yeah. Like the beginning of the movie has those like good scenes, like full on scenes. Once they kind of get on the road, everything moves by so quickly. It's more just about just, landing jokes and like one-liners and kind of someone trying to move the, the story forward so there's not a whole lot at the back end that stands out to me as like a really funny scene necessarily yeah unless you can think of one no I'm besides, in playing, to... besides in playing trivial pursuit at the very end uh, their negotiations so random yeah well they had to reshoot the ending because for some reason someone thought it was a good idea to have the world explode at the end of the movie. And of course, test audiences didn't like it. So they had to go Gee, back and reshoot a, new, go reshoot a happy ending. So that's why that scene of uh, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd like hugging at the end after the missile goes a different direction. You can clearly see they're standing in front of a, a, a backdrop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in a studio. That I did notice. I didn't know that that was the reason, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, you mind if we use your tent? Right. <laughs> Another funny line is I like the press conference too. And I always like when uh, Chevy Chase does the like cutting out of the, like the phones going out or the microphones yeah. going out. So, but before that they asked him the question and this is like, it's such a great response for like a political question. Well, of course the request for subsidies was not Paraguayan in and of itself as if were the United States government would never have if the president, our president had not. And as far as I know, that's the way it always will be. Is that clear? <laughs> and just that deadpan Chevy Chase yeah. delivery just makes it makes it even better. Any other scenes you want to talk about? No, I mean I did like the operation and yes, yes, kind of the timing between the two that when Dan Aykroyd would duck down, Chevy yes. would lean forward. Right, right. And then when and he's the, going to he's going to make the incision and he looks at the three older the three dot which make no sense. No sense. Right, yeah. right. Because like I was like, there had to have been like a deleted scene there or some scene that sets that up. But going back to the old, you know, Road Two movies, it's just that yeah. seemed like one of those kind of gags you would see in those movies that they just kind of put in there. But yeah, it's just like when they land uh, in the crate, the crate box, mm -hmm. and it opens up and they're sitting there, and I'm like, the way that thing landed, yeah, there's no way they would still just be <laughs> relaxed sitting there mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, you can't put a lot of, a lot of logic to a movie like this because it really is just one of those. Again, like you said, slapstick. Mm -hmm. At least as close to slapstick as it could get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chevy doesn't do as much physical comedy in this as he does in other ones. Like he's not a lot of pratfalls and stuff. I do love the scene where they they throw the, the Russian throws out the grenade and he catches like, what's this for? He's like, you don't want. He just stands up and like casually throws it back in the window, like just his. Ne'er do well demeanor is always so funny to me in those kind of situations. Yeah, uh, also I, didn't quite follow the the logic. And again, like I said, you can't put too much logic in this. No, of uh, I don't know the characters' names, but the the woman and the other man being the original agents. Yes, uh, and we're going. This this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how how and why were it wasn't the whole point of putting them in different locations, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but how did they end up in the same location? And I'm just assuming that it's only by sheer luck or coincidence, 
like they didn't expect the decoys to even make it that far. Like they expected yeah, them, to, yeah. you know, to which still doesn't make sense because you kind of want them to be somewhat successful because if they get killed off immediately, then that gives time for them to catch up with the real operatives. Yeah, you so. figured they had to last a little bit longer. Right, right. To be the actual decoys they wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, there there's just a lot of it. Like even the launch of the rocket. And then okay, they did it to try out this weird laser thing. Mm-hmm. But the laser didn't work. But then it almost feels like the military guys knew it wasn't going to work. Meant for yeah, meant right. yeah, knew it wasn't going to work because mm-hmm. they wanted to start World War 3. Yeah. And that that whole convoluted thing didn't make a lot of sense like why would you go through all that trouble to launch a rocket from russia Mm -hmm. just to try out a laser right it's very loosey it's a very loosey oh yeah yeah. a loose plot very very thin plot line oh yeah because yeah because even when they like when they they're going back when they're in the jeep and they show up in the afghan afghan tribe or whatever like we're americans and they get hung upside down I mean, the doctors are literally in the hut next to them. Like, they didn't see them when they came in or, like, you know, they didn't ask them, are you a doctor? Like, they just automatically, I mean, I know it's done for comedy, and that's really the only reason they do it, to be funny, but it doesn't make any, it doesn't really make any sense for them to all of a sudden, wait a minute, wait, wait, those are doctors. Oh, yes, we're doctors, you know. Also, for Dan Aykroyd to slightly lose his ability to speak Russian when they run across the, (laughs) the Russian people guarding the rocket. Right, like she's right. yelling at them, and he can't quite put together what she's saying. Mm-hmm. I was like, but you've spoke per- perfect Russian. Yeah. And then later, when you're handed the papers, which I assume I don't know how why he's the one having to decode. Like, <laughs> is it being sent in a code, mm-hmm. or I I don't know that 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 all got confusing too. Right. But then he speaks perfect Russian later when they're explaining everything to him when they mm-hmm. wake back up and explain the rocket and. Yeah, a little inconsistent there. Yeah. I do love at the beginning when you first meet Dan Aykroyd's character that he broke the code with the little decoder ring out of the Lucky Charms box, which I thought was, I always thought that was funny. Yeah. And now these messages. Hey there, fellow 80s movie aficionados. Are you ready to embark on a nostalgia-filled journey to the greatest era of cinema? Then look no further than the Retro Life for You 80s Movie Podcast. Join us every week as we rewind the VHS tapes, dust off those Betamax classics, and dive headfirst into the neon-soaked, totally tubular world of the 1980s movies. From the Brat Pack to Action Heroes, we've got it all covered. Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, E.T. and Indiana Jones, and more. It's like a trip in Doc Brown's time machine, but without the DeLorean. So whether you're a diehard 80s film buff or just curious about the cinematic gems of the past, Retro Life for You is your ticket to the ultimate movie time war. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Retro Life for You, and we can be found anywhere you listen to your podcast, as well as on our website, www. Retro Life, the number four, the letter U.com. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. All right, let's talk about some scenes and trivia, maybe some things that will spark a memory. So the Ace Tomato Company is most likely a reference to United Fruit, now Chiquita Bananas, a company widely known to have been involved with the CIA in the 1950s. The Hmm. connection is subtly underlined with the name of the generals, Miggs, 
one Henry Miggs, an American business magnate operating in South America, was the uncle of one of the founders of what would become United Fruit. Seems like a stretch, but <laughs> there it is. There you go. Another part I love in the movie, the movie that Fitzhume is watching while at his desk at the State Department is the musical She's Working Her Way Through College from 1952, starring Virginia Mayo, Gene Nelson, and then-President Ronald Reagan. Well, then, huh. when this movie was made, not when the original movie was made. Yeah. But I do love, if you notice in the credits, they have Ronald Reagan in, like, as one of the top credits as the President of the United States. So oh. he's credited in the movie. They, they definitely should. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was funny, you know, because at the time, of course, Ronald Reagan being the president, those, those of us that were young didn't know him as the actor back then. So to see the president in a singing musical was quite comical. No, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Ronald Reagan movie. So I don't I don't think I have either. So I know of them, but mm-hmm. the novelization by Gordon McGill reveals that the scene in which Emmett Fitzhume hosts a brief press conference was originally placed immediately after his introductory scene in the office and before his actual lunch date with Alice. His colleague sitting at the opposite desk, Walter Jurgens, was scheduled to host the conference, but Fitzhume took over to do him a favor. This explains why the film She's Working Her Way Through College, which Fitzhume was watching in the earlier scene, can still be seen playing on one of the monitors during the press conference. He also mentions having a lunch date, indicating the scene takes place before the one with Alice. It does feel a little random that all of a sudden he's having the press conference. Yeah. And once again, it just, it seemed like just a, a scene for him to be funny. Like it was just yeah. there to show him doing what being Chevy that. Chase, being Chevy Chase. Exactly. So as a guest on the Chevy Chase show in 1993, Dan Aykroyd tells a story about him and Chevy being pursued by a truck full of paratroopers while on location in Morocco. Aykroyd had taken a snapshot of the military unit who then pursued them at high speeds back to their hotel where they evaded detection by abandoning their Jeep and hiding inside a van with curtains in the windows. The next day as a prank, Aykroyd told John Landis that Chava Chase had been arrested and should expect them to be coming for him next. So, huh. <laughs> but that was funny, funny story. That's interesting. Yeah. Like why? Keeping uh, John Landis on edge, I'm sure. Not that he hadn't had enough moments of fear on a, a set, but we won't go into that story as we've, Referenced it many times. I have to go back and see how many John Landis movies I've covered so far. Coming to America, Trading Places, this one. Those are the three that come top of my head. This is the part where Laramie Googles. Yep, this is where I'm looking up John Landis movies. Because I don't know either. As a director, I'm assuming? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, let's see. Let's go into the 80s here. All right, we got the Blues Brothers. Haven't done that one yet. American Werewolf in London. I did that one, so that's that's on the list. All right. I've never heard of this one. Coming soon, which apparently was a straight-to-video. Nope. Uh, Trading Places. Yep, just did it. Twilight Zone. Haven't done it yet. Into the Night. Haven't done it yet. That was a, a lesser-known. All right, Spies Like Us. Just doing it now. <laughs> what? what? Uh, oh, look Spies. at that. And then, and then he directed uh, some BB King music videos. Uh, Three Amigos. Did that one. Coming to America. Did that one. And that would be it. That's all for the 80s. So I've done most of it. I've only missed, what, three? Blues Brothers, Twilight Zone, End of the Night. Whatever End of the Night is. Yeah. I think that's an old, um, I want to say it's Michelle Pfeiffer and... You are uh, right, Michelle Pfeiffer. Now, who is the male lead? um, I can see his face. Come Uh, on. The fly. What's his name? Yeah. Uh, Come on. Come on. I'm not going to give it to you. You're not. I know. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Come on. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Indeed. I keep wanting to say Steve Gutenberg, and I know it's not oh, right. Oh, oh no. I know. It's not even close. Oh, my, it's my brain is not wanting to work. Um, Life will find a way. I know. Come on, man. You just got to help me. I can't think. Oh, I'm come come on. Like come it. on. All right. From, from my world, he is uh, the Grandmaster. Yes, I know that. I mean, I know. Come I, on, I you gotta, you face. gotta think of his name. Come on. Um, very, very common first name. Oh, I had it for a second. Um, There's a medal in his last name, like a valuable medal. Yes. In his last name. Yes. 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 I can't do an impression of him. I'm gonna cheat. I'm about to cheat. Oh no! Come on. <laughs> 
Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. There you go. Gosh, I just needed that little bit, that little bit of the first name. And I was thinking gold. I was like, it's not Goldberg. It's not Goldstein. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, my gosh. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Hey, Dan Aykroyd's in that movie, too. Oh, really? Yeah, into the mean, he's, yeah he's, he's a little bit further down in the cast. So Yeah, probably just pops up for a second. Yeah, never seen it. All right, well, that'll make the highlight real. Way to go, Larry. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. No problem. Keep me on my toes. Nothing like forgetting one of the, the biggest actors <laughs> of the 80s and 90s. I know. Uh, like I said, I could see his face. I knew exactly who he was, just could not think of his name. All right, last little bit of trivia here. The title song, Spies Like Us, was written and performed by Paul McCartney. It peaked at number seven on the singles chart in the United States in early 1986. His last top 10 in the U.S. until 2015. It also reached number 13 in the UK. John Landis directed a music video for the song where Aykroyd and Chase are performing the song with McCartney, although they didn't actually play on the record. Landis had stated that he felt like Spies Like Us was a terrible song, but he just <laughs> couldn't say no to McCartney or Warner Brothers. You can't say no to a Beatle. Right, yeah. Probably. It's not a great I, song. <laughs> it's not, yeah. I mean, when it comes in at the end, I was like, I remember that song being on the radio and never really, really liking it, so but may have to add it to the uh, playlist on Apple Music. So if you want to check out all of our 80s Fic Flashback movie mix playlist, then uh, I'll be adding that here shortly. All right, moving on to box office and critical reception before we wrap this puppy up. The movie Spies Like Us was released in American theaters on December 6th, 1985. It debuted at number two with a box office total of $8.6 million, beating Behind? out the Rocky IV. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it beat out the only other new release of that week, Young Sherlock Holmes, which debuted at number five. Yeah, it's not that good, though. <laughs> yeah. But Rocky Four was in its second week of release and held on to the number one spot. I think it was like at $10 million. So it wasn't like a huge, huge gap. But um, Spies Like Us was only considered moderately successful, but it did make it in the top 20 of box office earners for that year. I'm not mad at that. No. All right, critical reception, Rotten Tomatoes, 35% on the tomato oh meter. Oh, my and a, God. And a 56 <laughs> audience score. Oh, you think that's bad? IMDb, 6.4 out of 10 with viewers and a 22 on Metacritic. Oh, oh wow. Okay, the 6.4 with viewers, I'm I'm better with that. But, yeah, yeah the 20s yeah. and the 30s, it's not yeah. that bad. No, the critics did not like it at all. Oh. But the critics didn't like much, many comedies – like this, especially, but I think it's because the story is thin. It's not, it wasn't, you know, what critics were looking for back then. It's just a fun entertaining. Yeah, just enjoy the movie. Right, right. Critics weren't, they weren't paid to enjoy movies back then. They were paid to critique them. <laughs> it's a movie, not a film. Right, exactly. That's why this is 80s flick, 80s flick flashback, not 80s film flashback. Just so you know. <laughs> Yeah, I would put it in the – this is probably in the upper 70s for me. I mean, it's not the greatest. It's still enjoyable. I definitely want to watch it again. Not one I want to watch like every year, but yeah. uh, but it's fun. It's not I'd, as I'd good probably, as other – yeah, it's not as good yeah. as other Ackroyd and Chase movies, but still enjoyable. Yeah, I'd probably go more lower 70s for me because, mm -hmm. like you said, it's not one that when I'm thinking of – great comedies from the 80s it's not one that immediately comes to mind mm -hmm. now if someone mentions it i'll go oh yeah yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's a good mm -hmm. one but yeah. it's not one that's going to automatically come up yeah oh yeah for sure i should have looked at like top you know top 10 rated or top rated chevy chase movies top rated awkward movies to see where it falls on those lists but we got nothing but time so we can do that okay chevy chase top 10 comedies I'll look up Dan Aykroyd. All right. Did do you care about the source? Let's see if we both get the same source, and we'll try to pull it from the same source. I mean, the first thing that popped up was Ranker. Oh, okay. Let's do that. Ranker's pretty good. I like Ranker. So this is just Chevy Chase movies. Best right, this, is, this is best movies with Dan Aykroyd, so that's probably going to have some dramas in there too. But Spies Like Us is number five. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely further down for Ackroyd. It is above it's, Three Amigos. It's number six for Ackroyd. 
It is above three amigos. Yeah, it's above three amigos. Well, Dan Aykroyd's not in three amigos. Wow. It, it well, it beat out Coneheads, so that's number seven. <laughs> Let's see. Ghostbusters two is five. Great Outdoors is four. Trading Places is three. Blues Brothers is two, and of course, Ghostbusters is number one. So yeah, it's number five on this ranker. Number four is Fetch. Yep. Three is Caddyshack. Two yep. is Christmas Vacation, and one yep. is Vacation. Vacation, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So hey, that, it's, it does make you know, sense. But it's in the wow. top ten. That's still not bad. Yeah, I wouldn't have put it above Three Amigos, though. No, no, I think Three Amigos is funnier. But he does less in Three Amigos. Three Amigos, Three Amigos is really a Steve Martin movie. Like, he is the he is the primary character. And, yeah. and really, Chevy Chase is, like, the third character. Like, he's he gets less to do than even uh, Martin Short in Three Amigos. But I like the scenes he's in. So I can see, I can see why that's not ranked higher because he's not the main well, to, to finish out the top 10 six is three amigos seven is funny farm eight <laughs> is foul play okay nine is european vacation and 10 <laughs> is fletch lives oh two terrible sequels to round out the bottom way to go well i don't know the rest of the list isn't i mean there's yeah because vegas vacation is 12 <laughs> Nothing but trouble is fourteen. Ooh, gosh! I've been trying to watch Funny Farm because it's on Max right now, and I haven't made it to the end yet. I keep—I'm only able to watch like twenty to twenty-five minute segments. Yeah, that's so. a movie that I had a hard time watching the first few times. I—I mm -hmm. I just I didn't get it. Yeah, it just—it doesn't know what kind of tone it's trying to set. Like it just feels so—it doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be. Wait, anyway. was. Was Chevy Chase is in Caddyshack too? Yes, and so he's Dan more, Aykroyd. So they have been yeah. in another movie together because Dan Aykroyd replaces uh, oh, Bill Murray. Yeah. But they don't have any. They don't have, probably don't have together. any scenes. Together. Yeah, yeah. Because Chevy Chase is really just a cameo. He just pops in for like one or two scenes. Yeah, and and Aykroyd just kind of takes over the Bill Murray role. So yeah, there's no interaction between them. Good catch though. I forgot about Caddyshack too. Most people do. Uh, <laughs> but. It's forgotten for a reason. Oh, I forgot that he's the principal in Orange County. Eh, I'm just looking through the rest of this list. There's a lot of movies with Chevy Chase that I either forgot about or do not know. He did a couple direct-to-video. What, what is Cops and Robertsons on? Because that's I mean, another you know what? I don't even think that one's popped up yet. <laughs> Him and Jack Palance. It was, after uh, Jack no, Palance. it did. I've already passed it. It was number 19. Okay. Right above okay. Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, well, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the movie? Have we covered it all? I think we covered it all. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Well, tell me what's going on with uh, moving panels. How did you f close out the year, and what do you got coming up in 2024? Oh, we had a nice little uh, run of Christmas episodes in December. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you check those Santa out. Santa Claus is uh, a mutant. Yep, that was the one we did for Christmas Day. And then... Uh, we did a watch along of the Tick Love Santa episode mm -hmm. uh, from the Tick. That one's uh, fun. Uh, but then coming up here in uh, the new year, uh, of course, I've been teasing uh, for a while now that in March, when we do our March Madness, we're going to be discussing The Watchmen, Alan Moore's mm -hmm. The Watchmen. Uh, but starting off 2024, we uh, I squeezed in. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So oh, Lake and, nice. Lake and Bethany joined me to discuss that one so that I could just go ahead and get in all of the the major Alan Moore movie <laughs> adaptations. Yeah. Uh, all in at once. So we got that. And then we also are approaching our, we'll hit our 100th episode later in the year. Mm -hmm. um, following suit with you. And uh, yeah, a lot more exciting stuff that I'm getting planned out. Uh, one that I will keep secret, but one that I messaged you about the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah that's gonna be fun yep that i've got planned so a little little uh tease there um <laughs> pretty much gonna gonna have a, a nice little uh i'll just say a battle of the co-hosts is what it'll it'll be yeah yeah which uh, looks like my 100th episode is going to be somewhat similar to that as i i gave all the co-hosts a couple of options and the one i thought they wouldn't want to do is the one that won by landslide. Look, I will always. You don't. You don't mind me saying what it is, do you? Uh, 
No, let's not tell them yet. Okay, well, I knew, we'll, I knew you'd, but, I knew you'd yeah, be game for it. But I was about to say, that's the one I definitely would choose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we're going to have fun for our 100th episode. So be looking for that. That'll be coming out the beginning of February. So before we close out, I want to ha- I'm want i adding a new segment this year. We're going to do a 80s flick flashback feedback. So I want to share from someone who has le- left us a written review on Apple Podcasts. So this uh, review came from, it looks like, Nida. N-H-I-I-D-A-H, which I'm sure is one of our international listeners, but uh, they said, very entertaining, five stars. This podcast is very entertaining. Each one gives you the background for the movie, the interesting tidbits, then breaks the movie down. The friendly banter between the host and guest hosts will keep you laughing throughout the session. So thank you, Nita, for the awesome review. Really appreciate that. And of course, if you want to leave us a nice review, you can do that as well at Apple Podcasts. And be sure to give us a good rating, five-star rating, and a like on Spotify as well. Well, that's a wrap for today's Journey Down Memory Lane with the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Before you hit stop, don't forget to follow, subscribe, and shower us with some love by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do you have a burning question or just want to share your own epic 80s movie experience? Shoot us an email at info at 80sflickflashback.com. If you're enjoying our show, please share the love. Spread the word by sharing this episode with your fellow fans of 80s Flicks. You can also connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more nostalgic fun. And for those awesome souls who want to take it to the next level, support the show on buymeacoffee.com. And we've got some rad 80s flick-inspired merch waiting for you on the website, 80sflickflashback.com, including fresh designs at our online store as well as at tpublic.com, which December has been my best month for sales on the T-shirts. And it seems to be the most popular are shirts from Better Off Dead. So I've got a, I want my $2 t-shirt that's selling really well. And then I did one with a skier that says, go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. I've sold a bunch of those. So I guess those are some good Christmas presents for people or a Hanukkah present. So glad to see those are selling well. So make sure you get yours uh, as well. Thank you, Laramie, for joining. Thank everyone for listening. This is Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback. Remember to stay rad, cherish the memories, and keep the spirit of 80s nostalgia alive. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.